1: Welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. This is the latest of the summer specials. It doesn't really make sense to me to keep saying this is the latest of the summer specials because, you know, you might be listening to one of the older ones and thus it wouldn't any longer be the latest one. So, um, yeah, this is the fourth of the summer specials. Uh, Today I'm going to be speaking with Katrina Law, who is the co-chair of the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust. So if you uh, had ever been interested as to what Daniel Levy's like in meetings, um, listen on, and you'll find out now.
2: Okay, so this goes back to primary school, um, many years before you were born, Jack. Uh, 1981, and um, I had a teacher, and she was a class teacher, but also a religious education teacher. And she put two posters up, in our, like, class form room. And one was a poster of Manchester City that she adorned with a white bridal veil. And the other was a poster of Tottenham Hotspur, uh, which she put a funereal black veil over. And then she sat us all down and said, this Saturday is the biggest football match in the world. And it's called, because it was in those days, and it's called the FA Cup final. And it's between these two teams. And you support Manchester City because you're Northern because this school was up in Yorkshire. I, already at the age of nine... ...didn't like this teacher very much... ...so made an instinctive decision... ...to support the other team... ...which I thought had a quite exotic name... ...Tottenham Hotspur... ...and I quite liked their white kit... So uh, that was me sorted. So on the Saturday afternoon, obviously sat down and watched it, went to the replay, hooked again, via's goal, and the rest is history, really. So that was it in 81. And then I did manage to leverage my parents into sending me to a senior school that had a navy blue and white uniform. So, yeah, yeah, embedded a long time ago. It's
1: quite a... a, Nice starting point as well, the FA Cup final. An like amazing most iconic one, one of all time, absolutely,
2: probably. and then we had a really good spell in the early 80s, didn't we? So that was great, and then, you know, followed through and took to the early 90s. So that's kind of my early starting point. My, my dad was into football, but he'd been in the Navy, so he was based in Portsmouth, so kind of Portsmouth was his team. Um, and when I was growing up, once I got into football, he wouldn't take me to Leeds United. That was a no no. Dirty Leeds was not happening to his <laughs> precious little innocent daughter. So I was kind of, you know, on a scout for a team, and Tottenham just happened to hook me in, and that was it. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: You, uh huh. You regret it at all, huh? No, of course no. not.
2: It's a roller coaster,
1: isn't
2: it? Yeah, I know. Uh, Be celebrating Carl Walker's arrival. Yeah, (laughs) amazing. Uh, No, I don't regret it. You know, I think with any football club, you go on a journey, don't you? And I think really, we've had it good. If you look at some of the other clubs and all the crises that they've had, um, you know, our our roller coaster's been mainly on an upward trajectory. So, I'm good with that decision. What was your your first game you went to? First game was against Nottingham Forest, and I was about. Thirteen or fourteen, because obviously I'm in exile in Yorkshire at this stage, and not you know old enough to get myself down to London. And believe it or not, those years ago, you didn't really travel that much. You kind of did things around your locality. So, getting a train to London was like you know quite exotic. um But <laughs> yeah, you're going to laugh at this bit. I was in a show in London. Yeah, I was a bit of an amdram Queen. Okay, and uh we had a day off, and I everyone was going to Madame Two Swords or wherever. And I wanted to go to White Hart Lane, okay. so yeah. So I went to the Forest Match, which we lost. <laughs> hey, that's good. So yeah, I can remember virtually nothing about the game apart from the fact that we lost. But it's weird because you remember everything else about going in, get well, traveling to the stadium, how you got there, what it felt like, sounded like, smelt like, all the people, and then when you walk in and you see the pitch for the first time. I'm pretty sure we sat in East Upper. Um, and you know, when it all kind of a vast expanse of green in front of you for the first time, and then you're so consumed by the crowd and all the noises, and I don't imagine how much of the football I watched. It was just the experience for me, and I still do that to this day. I will still look at the crowd as much as I look at the football.
1: Funnily enough, I think it was my second ever game, Michael, was against Forest, was it? Yeah, oh. about 93 94, something like that. They okay. beat us as well, yeah, one yeah. nil.
2: yeah.
1: And they were, I can, I just like plastered into my memory. Is the opposition fan singing Tottenham? We always beat Tottenham. <laughs> Probably right, mate. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. Neither nice of them. Start off early, yeah. So, <laughs> what do you make of the current crop at the moment?
2: Amazing. Right? Yeah. So good. I mean,
1: it's quite a silly question. Uh, yeah, but,
2: we'll, we'll touch know. on the Walker thing. I'm full of them. I I understand why he's gone. Don't necessarily necessarily agree with it, but I understand. But I am sad because the unit that we've had over the last two seasons has been really special. And every single one of them has looked like they've loved it, they've enjoyed their football, You know, they've played with passion and emotion and commitment and that's all you can ask for as a fan. So I'm sad that that unit's been broken even a little bit, but if we can keep everyone else together and and add a couple of good signings, it should bode well for another good year. But honestly, it's been amazing the last two seasons. As
1: has been pointed out to me on Twitter, none of the other players have actually wished him well on... Instagram or Twitter and Victor Wanyama has unfollowed him on Instagram. I well, mean that's, that's that's pretty damning mate. That's some serious shit there. It you know?
2: is pretty damning but I was uh, on my way to the Brewer's barbecue on Saturday and bumped into a load of mates who were going to Lovebox. Um, Spurs fans obviously we were having this discussion because I also unfollowed Carl Walker on Twitter but some of them had gone as far as to block him which I thought was (laughs) hilarious because I'm pretty sure that Carl Walker is never going to try and get onto their account but there you go so he's going to get quite an interesting reception I think I'm
1: pretty sure these things are mostly all run by PR companies now anyway
2: I think the most amazing thing about that transfer is that they didn't engage an intern to go back down his Twitter feed and remove all the times he said, I hate Man City, I never play yeah. for them, they're fans yeah. of shit. Wouldn't you just delete it? Yeah. It's all on there, yeah. but it's great entertainment for us. What was his,
1: what was his big one They're Just a, a shit club with money. That's right. Like, I think he said something Just like that, absolutely he, that classic.
2: Yeah. Obviously not the sharpest tool in the box. Wow. We've known that for a while. We've known know know. that for a while. Exactly. Um, but yeah wouldn't you think the players would like WhatsApp him or texted him or phone him though? Would they necessarily do it on a public platform?
1: I don't know. It's, it's tough isn't it? I think it's it's a funny place that football and I guess mm. society finds itself and at the moment the archiving of old tweets and yeah. things people have said on Facebook. I mean it came back to haunt Andre Gray didn't it? Yeah. Not long ago. Um, less I'm, worried, I'm worried
2: now. I'm worried about what I've said on my my feed in years you can gone by. Go
1: and you delete, delete all your old tweets, mate. That's the best thing to do. I will do, mate. Um, so your journey to the trust. Yes.
2: When when did you first become aware of of the trust of the trust. trust? So the trust at our place was set up, and Martin would know this, but I'm pretty sure it was about 2001. So apologies if I'm slightly out um and uh, thank you very much and obviously i've had a season ticket since the 98 season so i was you know engaged with spurs at at that time um i was also going out with a spurs fan then and he got me a membership of the trust so i've been a member of the trust since its inauguration more or less but i wasn't an active member until like four years ago i think i did pretty much what everyone else did which was you know bought into the philosophy and the ethos of a trust but didn't actually want to get off my arse and do anything about it. I I was just, you know, for me, football was a leisure leisure pursuit. I'd turn up on a Saturday or Sunday or whatever, watch the game, have a few beers and go home. I couldn't be arsed with all the small-pea politics and everything else around it. Um, I think that started to shift when we were linked with a move to Stratford. Uh, that was kind of a, a mobilising factor for me, I think. As it was with, you know, a lot of the people who joined the Trust Board a few years ago with me. Um, obviously, something needed to be said about that and there needed to be a fan movement to express opposition to that. So that was kind of mobilising the troops, really. I mean, i have been aware for a long time that the board didn't seem to think that highly of the fans, going right back to when they ripped out the shelf and stuck in corporate boxes. Mm. You know, I think that was one of the first signals for me. I couldn't really understand, because for me, fans have always been the lifeblood of the club. So, you know, if, if you playing in front of empty stadiums, good, good luck with that one. Um, but it's something that as I grew grew older and got kind of more involved and you become more conscious and you become more aware and things start to rattle with you. And then, you know, if your personal circumstances change and you've got a little bit more time, so you can kind of commit and volunteer and do that stuff. That's kind of where I got involved, really. So post-Stratford. Okay. Um,
1: mm. What does it actually involve, then? Getting, well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> To, to to become a member of it, how 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 did it how did that come about?
2: What be a member of the trust well, or be member no, of the trust actually, board? Yeah, on the board. Okay, so there was a guy called Darren Alexander. He sadly passed away about three and a bit years ago now. And Darren had been on and off the trust board for oh god, seven years, eight years or so. Uh, and he had a word with me. Um, there's a lot of rules. The the trust is um, a friends and industrial industry. Can we record this bit again? <laughs> <laughs> Friends and Industrial Providence Society, if I can speak. Uh, so it's formally constituted. And we have to work to some you know, fairly detailed rules um, of how we're set up and, and how we conduct ourselves and et cetera, et cetera. There's a thing called a 12-year rule that no board member can be on that board for more than 12 consecutive years. Uh, and we knew that the last remaining people on the old trust board were coming up to their 12th year. So there was a serious danger that the trust wouldn't exist anymore. So Darren had approached me and approached some other people who'd been involved with the We Are N17 campaign, which was, you know, say no to Stratford. Um, And we got our ducks in a row and came up with a proposal, met with the old board and then stood for election at that AGM in February 2013, it was. So that's kind of how we got involved. Uh, But we obviously inherited a trust that hadn't been active for years, um, hadn't done any campaigning didn't have hmm, a, a great profile uh, and so it was a big job for us to try and turn that around and to this day I think that's still a problem legacy issues are still a problem um, perceptions that you're kind of in it for yourself and you've got a club blazer and you get free tickets and not that they ever did but just you know the perceptions that are out there aren't unlimited particularly biscuits. unlimited biscuits you know tickets to but Barbados and whatever else. So um, yeah, that's so, not an
1: actual one, is that? Is, no. No, no, I was gonna say, I was just <laughs> sure if you'd be, mate. Some of the stuff I see, you guys get, you know. <laughs> that would have been a pretty spectacular one. Um, exactly. I mean, other than other than those type of pelters what, what does you know? What tasks are actually involved <laughs> um, in your day to day with being involved with? Because it is a day to day
2: it's constant i mean we we haven't had a break this summer i'm not moaning about that obviously we're democratically elected into these positions and it's an honor to represent spurs fans but there are times it's like just want a day off just a day um so day to day for me obviously i i do most of the the running of the twitter account which is you know a constant joy um most people are are fairly reasonable actually in fairness but you do get hammerings from every now and then so that's always always was fun um i also deal with an awful lot of casework so individual fans who are either facing suspensions bans whatever or they've actually been arrested and need legal advice or just want some help with you know how do i upgrade my season ticket kind of thing more of a customer service role so there's various levels of like kind of casework that we undertake and and i tend to do the bulk of those i'm also the ticketing rep On the board which means it's my job to understand all the ticketing policies and to input into or try and input into ticketing pricing and discussions on allocations and whatever else so that's another huge part um we as a board uh, we have an ongoing dialogue with the club so there are now ten people on our board uh, one of them, Rachel uh, will deal with the catering side of things so she's building a relationship with Levy Restaurants no relation uh, who are is be it our- actually not? No, it's no. no relation the part of Compass and Levy are just like an offshoot of that but how embarrassing I think actually Daniel finds it quite embarrassing as well. So we're trying to... Because build. it does just seem like some sort of course it does. nepotism, does uh, Absolutely it? right. Just get my son's company and it's all fine. But no, 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 no relation. Uh, so we're trying to build a relationship with them. So and this might sound fluffy to some people who are like, you about biscuits and bagels. But it's really important that the catering offering in the new stadium is right for us. So if that means that we can engage, you know, local producers and, you know, we can get local beers in or like, like the Tottenham cheese maker or whatever else I was going Then to say, that's, you're going to be sampling the cheese so. I'd love to sample the cheese <laughs> then, then that's all great but also you know we need to know what fans want so if they want franchises so you want a McDonald's or you want a Pizza Express or whatever, or if you want all individual blah blah blah. So well, she kind of handles that side of things. We've got another guy called Kev who does all our community and charity work. So he will link up with the Antwerp and he'll do all the prostate cancer fundraising for us and blah blah blah. And he'll work with the Tottenham Foundation quite a lot as well. So on any community issues there, that that will kind of be his. Um we've got another guy called Michael who looks after finance. So he would drill down into all the accounts that Tottenham Hotspur produce and, and look at the kind of, you know, when the funding announcement came out for the new stadium, he'll drill down into that. Um, so there's various aspects that, that are covered there. Myself and Martin tend to lead dialogue with the board at the club and with Jonathan Waite, who's a supporter head of supporter Services and Ian Murphy, head of ticketing. So we're all over that as well. Um, what else do we do? So national, national work. So if, I kind of there's obviously like domestic work. So this is like your Premier League work when you're doing Tottenham specific stuff. So stuff that's relevant just to our fans and our unique set of circumstances. But then when you get a bit more confident and you network a little bit more, you kind of move into the European area, which is the National League. So we're now in like a European competition, basically. So the advanced part of it is national work with supporters direction, with the Football Supporters Federation. And that will be working on pan club campaigns. So the £30 away price Cat came out of that campaigning. The work that we're doing around safe standing now is all obviously national. So there there are plenty of issues that unite fans of all different clubs. So on a national level, we'll look to amplify that. So I'm working quite closely with Chelsea and Liverpool at the moment around all the matches that are getting, excuse me, rescheduled for broadcast Mm -hmm. and the impact on fans. So we're trying to do a piece of work with Sky, with BT Sport, with the Premier League, with the train operators and with the clubs to try and minimise that impact. So that's kind of, Ugh, just, there's so much. I could sit here for the next two hours and tell you what everyone does and everything else, but it's basically any touch point with a supporter we'll be involved in, across anything to do with Tottenham 1, actually.
1: As a bit of a sort of peek behind the curtain yeah. um, on that kind of thing, when you you mentioned that you've done some work with Sky and things on like yes. the broadcast stuff, uh, when they talk to, like, the fan groups, do you find from their part, is it, does it seem, is their demeanour this is an obligation, that we kind of have to go through this, or are they actually quite keen to find out what fans, people in the stadium actually want?
2: Yeah, I think Sky have been the best at engaging with us so far.
1: Because <clears throat> they obviously are, they're kind of painted as the boogeyman, right?
2: They are, and, you know, they from their point of view, they paid £4 billion for the domestic TV rights, which overstretched them hugely, massively overpaid. Um, I think the very first meeting that we went into with them, I made it, I, I was chairing, unfortunately for Sky, so I made every one of our group, every one of our representatives, you know, explain who they were. Uh, what set of supporters they were representing and what their relationship was with Sky. So I'd say, you know, I'm Kat, I can't share the Supporters Trust and I'm a Sky subscriber. And we went all the way around and everybody bought Sky. So it was to try and round the point home that these two groups are not exclusive. Yeah. So travelling fans are also your customers and you want to keep your customers happy as well as travelling fans being part of the product that you have bought. Because the away fans bring so much colour and spectacle to the match. So once you can establish that, that they're not talking to us as somebody alien, we're actually their customers, then that kind of helped a lot. Do
1: they actually need that kind of. Cause it's quite worrying that they really need that spelling out.
2: They Well, it was just good to reinforce the point. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think there's any point going into a meeting and being completely the enemy and you know completely in opposition you always need to try and find common ground and if you can find common ground in that way so they understand that you know we like their product i think sky do a good job of covering football it just i'd just rather they didn't cover tottenham at you know eight o'clock in sunderland on a Tuesday night that's all they they do correct they do seem to understand the issues i think part of the most valuable bit for us was understanding how they compile and select their their fixtures. And it's bloody complicated. It really is. So there is flexibility to a certain extent, but there will always be situations when we'll get dumped in a slot that we would rather not be in. Mm. But they are now mindful of that and they have gone back and switched some picks on the basis of the conversation with us. It's not just with us, they also held a forum with um, football league clubs, as well, football league fan reps as well. So Sky, I'd say, you know, obviously not perfect and there's a lot of work to be done, but in terms of all the stakeholders here, they're probably at the top level for us at the moment. BT Sport were exactly as you'd said, which was just like, don't really give a shit, mate. Really? yeah I sent them three follow up emails they haven't replied to one of them which is just rude so BT Sport over there in the corner uh, and yeah, as, for the League, as, well, <laughs> as for the Premier League as for the Premier League they are doing everything they can to stop all of us getting in a room together because then somebody has to accept responsibility yeah. so we're prodding prodding a few you know things at the moment and we'll see where we get to but Sky have been back in touch and we're going to set up another meeting with them um, next couple of months
1: how is how is the state of play with safe standing as well? That's just because that's what you mentioned It's
2: Safe standing's interesting. It's uh, do you feel that it's moving slightly? Um it's gonna be slow. So Shrewsbury
1: town yeah. have got it now. There. First English
2: club, I think. Uh, yeah. they definitely yeah, they've stuck their hand up, haven't they? I don't think they've actually got it in or not yet. The Celtic case study is obviously been massively helpful because everyone, including Tottenham, have been up there to have a look at how that's working. So that that's been really really helpful. Um, I know West Brom put their hand up and said they would be willing to trial it in the Premier League, which again is helpful uh, because you need people who who'll stick their, their their heads above the parapet and say, you know what, we'll do this. Tottenham are supportive, um, but the timing with this wasn't great. Because when, you know they, they were waiting for planning permission to go through um, from, through Haringey, and so didn't really massively want to rock the boat by saying yeah, yeah we'll trial etc. But they've always said that populists have you know got some designs in place that should legislation be changed and safe standing be allowed, they could incorporate a safe standing section in that south stand. So you know Tottenham are on board. Also, the Premier League are undertaking a piece of research with all the clubs. Um, Because you know, at the Premier League's request, um, to try and gauge supporter um, feedback, backing, support, whatever. So that piece of work has been undertaken, and I just get the feeling that things are moving slightly. Because you know, the Premier League hadn't wanted to touch it with a barge pole. So that's definitely swung a little bit. It will be slow. I don't think anything will happen dramatically. I mean,
1: what is it? What is the great hesitancy? Is it still the you know? I'm I'm not saying it's in a throwaway fashion, but is is it still the, the shadow of Hillsborough that's kind of yeah, crossed over I, it? Yeah, I think like until
2: the inquest or... had finished, it would have been massively insensitive to try and push this forward. Yeah. So that kind of ruled out a couple of years. So we are where we are now. Um, the Spirit of Shankly, who are Liverpool's fan group, are hosting an open meeting, I think it's this Thursday, where they're discussing rail seating, which is effectively safe standing. Um that will be very interesting um to see what their fan base thinks of it. I think that would be huge
1: yeah
2: so, but still a, a very sensitive issue up there
1: yeah
2: and and I think also there's a there's a you know a misconception that it's back to the bad old days of terracing and not and any other, and rail seating is nothing like that, so in terms of safety, it's obviously far safer than standing in front of your seat right now. But there's a job of education that needs to be done for the people who are resisting. Generally, I think you know you can try and kind of put the Hillsborough families to one side because I think you know it's an incredibly emotional rationale for them.
1: Yeah, of yeah. course, and it, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is an outlier, isn't it? Still, I yes, guess, in, exactly in this kind of exactly thing. Um
0: I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: I guess going back to, to trust and your work with the trust, how have you found the experience overall?
2: positive uh it's a lot more work than i thought it was going to be i'll be honest, <laughs> to be honest with you uh, it does tend to consume um, <laughs> most waking hours um uh, but when you're involved at a level that we're involved in it it can be frustrating mightily frustrating but it can also be massively rewarding but you end up with the tiniest of wins like the tiniest of achievements just feel huge mm. because you're constantly bashing at a door so you need to be really resilient and you need to be really focused and you need to be really determined because you're going to get knocked back 99 times out of 100. So, And it's tricky because you're never going to please all of your fan base. Uh, either people don't understand what you do or they don't like what you do or they think you're doing it out of self-interest. Um, or you don't represent them. You don't speak for me. That's always the classic. And of course we can't. We can't speak for every single fan. There's so many different views out there. And then you've got the club who, let's be honest, I think we're just an irritant. So it's kind of a rock and a hard place. But, you know, we believe in what we're doing. So that's the reason that you kind of carry on. And I committed, uh, providing I'm elected, I committed to see us well into the new stadium and settle before I decided I'd try and get my evenings and weekends back. So you got stuck with me for another couple of years.
1: Uh, so is that a message straight to Daniel Levy, who I'm sure
2: will be? It?
1: <laughs> it exactly. You get exactly. Him quite well with in
2: there, don't you? He's, look, I only know him on a professional basis. It's, he's not, as I you say, he's his not, card, I'm not on his Christmas card list. And I'm not on his speed dial either. Um, <laughs> but when we're in a room together, then you have a good level of dialogue with him. He's not kind of, right, I'm here, I've got to be out in five minutes. You guys are morons, just, just get this over with. You know, he will. I will always say at the start of a meeting, how long have he got? And he'll normally say as long as it takes. Once he had to go because him and Maurizio were having dinner and I thought, well, I can't really argue with that. So, Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's quite nice. So he will make himself available and will give us a time. But it's, you know, it's all very well giving us a time, but you've got to actually listen to what we're saying and take it on board as well. So there's still a little bit of work to be done there but I, I don't have a problem with his, his demeanour and he's you know very affable very bright very sharp very to the point and uh, you know obviously a, a strong chairman so it's always a challenge trying to go toe to toe with him as a volunteer but yeah must
1: be quite certain. do you have those moments of clarity when you're something like you know like as we're talking about your journey here yeah you have you know just been a Spurs fan after oh the, gosh after yeah you're like in a meeting with the chairman
2: yeah it's quite crazy It is quite crazy. I think, but, you know, preparation is the key here. So I'm all right now. I've been doing this for, like, four years and being throwing myself in at the deep end. So you kind of have a real grasp of all the issues and you you do know what you're doing. Your first meeting with him, you're obviously terrified. Because it's not only that. You've got to then, you know, report back and you're constantly aware that there are thousands of other fans who would love to be in your position and that you have to articulate their concerns and their anger or their frustration or their praise or whichever way around it might be. And you're the conduit for that. So you can't clam up, Mm. you know. (laughs) You can't just completely... You know, not say anything and just let nerves get the better of you. You've got to try and articulate stuff. So it's and, and I'm constantly arguing for a position that isn't anything to do with me. So you know, I'm season ticket holder with 670 points or something. So ticket allocations and stuff isn't an issue for me. So I
1: mean, not not just the big DL, but the club at large. Do you find that they are as supportive as they perhaps could be? Because I mean, just, just one example, I would say through looking at Twitter and looking at some of the kind of issues you seem to be handling as the trust yeah. through Twitter, a lot of it I kind of think this should be some kind of, this should be a Spurs help, yeah. lot, like a, a Spurs dedicated Twitter handle of course. for ticketing issues, for this kind of thing, that you guys seem to pick up quite a
2: bit. At the yes. Time. So we've been pushing for this. We've been pushing for more resource resources for the ticketing office a more resource for customer service for an awful long time now. The guys and girls who work there are really committed, really good and really sharp and wouldn't say a bad word against them. But there aren't enough of them and there's too much work. Uh, and that's a problem because it means that not only are they not replying to fans as quickly and as thoroughly as they could do, they're also not replying to us. And then that leaves us in a vacuum. So that that's not ideal. The social media stuff, especially, we have been asking for a dedicated ticketing and customer service accounts on on Twitter. Um, I'm we asked this question in our survey that we closed last week, and a massive exclusive for you. Woo-hoo. I think it was ninety one percent of the people of the respondents who completed the survey uh, said that they would find those dedicated channels beneficial. So that's been fed back into the club, who are, in fairness, having ongoing conversations. But I think. There is a nervousness there because it's, it's it the time thieves, aren't they? You know, and also it's a it's a knowledge thing. If you're answering all that breadth of questions, the person who's doing that account needs to know all these policies, and that's tough because it's big. It's big areas. Ticketing's huge. And customer service is huge. So I think they're things that they need to look at. But yes, it would be a massive benefit for fans. And that's the whole point. We'll try and answer as best we can. But we don't always get it right and we don't always have the information. So it should be coming straight from the club.
1: I mean, there are things like that that aren't the. the, the I mean, we can talk about this on the football pitch and you know, when we're talking about wages and things yeah. like that of the playing stuff. I think there are certain realities that it seems that the club are reluctant to face that are part and parcel of becoming not just a bigger football club on the pitch, but a a bigger brand. Yeah. And perhaps they need to catch up a bit with this kind of stuff? I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I think so. Um, I think Manchester City have got a very good reputation for all their online interaction and all the rest of it. And I think we are kind of tier two in that department. They have got better. They've just, I'm, I'm not sure I should say this, but they've just switched their... Social media guy, so somebody new now, uh, which I did actually notice when they answered a ticket inquiry that was on our feed. I was like, okay, that's a different person on the Spurs, the Spurs account then. Um, so yes, completely agree with you. Uh, but you know, t- uh, again, with football clubs, wages aren't great, aren't they? No. So that's another issue. No.
1: Yes. What does the uh, what's the future hold oh, now then for trust you just said goodbye to White Hart Lane? I know. I know. How, how do how do you feel about that actually? Before we, before we I, th- on
2: with I was really sad in the build-up to it, like really sad because I absolutely adore White Hart Lane, and a bit of a traditionalist, and I'd been obviously going up to Lily White House, which is next door, for quite a few meetings over the preceding months, and just watching the new stadium swallow up our little ground, and I was really sad about it. So I'd say probably five days out from the finale. When everyone started publishing those heart-wrenching blogs and, you know, memories and what it meant to them and everything, I unashamedly was in tears, like nearly every night reading this stuff and thought I'm going to be an absolute wreck when it actually gets to match day. But then it got to match day and I wasn't an absolute wreck and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't go on the pitch though, I was a good girl. Yeah. I couldn't have coped with. I couldn't have cope with Donna's wrath afterwards. <laughs> it, just, it really just wouldn't have been worth it. And I got drenched because I was by the hole, so there was no roof. So probably a combination of being wet and not going on the pitch meant that I didn't actually cry
1: right at the end. I was going to say, how was your season with your poncho? You <laughs> <wrapping> <laughs> they never the corner, gave us one, mate. Did it not?
2: Nay. Despite you see, look, you're right about not embracing you know modern contemporary stuff because I said they should have used it as a marketing opportunity, called them Ponchettinos, Wait. shoved his face on it and sold them for, you know, 20 quid each. <laughs>
1: 50 quid, then. 50 remember, yeah. quid,
2: exactly. But I thought it was beautifully done, in yeah. fairness. I thought the finale was great. But it does feel strange. I haven't looked at any of the demolition pictures. And I don't have to go back to sep- that. September. That's our next meeting with the board. So, you know, no doubt it will have all gone by then. Because the last bit of Park Lane's only remaining because of a gas leak so oh, really yeah there's some some emergency gas leak so mace sent a newsletter out yesterday saying that the, the demolition of the last part has had to be put back so yes Heart lane's, lane's holding firm hey, good yeah yeah so i guess back to
1: the back to the question um with white heart lane going we've got the move into wembley now um How's that, how's that for you, basically? What what nightmares is that?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean... Unlocking? I, I don't think Wembley was ideal for anyone, but it's a necessary evil, and it's the lesser of whatever evils were available in terms of a temporary venue. Um, so everyone, I think, hopefully everyone now has been quite pragmatic, and they're in a position where they realise we've just got to get on with it. I think it feels more real now. Most people know where they're sitting, and they've got their seat numbers, and... Either their season tickets or whatever are are arriving now, their little access cards with the arch on it and whatever else, so it feels a little bit more real. Um, And it is only for one season, fingers crossed. I mean, Tottenham are guaranteed it's only for one season in the the little pamphlet that comes with your access card, Uh, because I was quite surprised that they have put it down in black and white that bluntly that it will be for one season, because we'd been told there was possibilities of overrun and... We'd ask for contingency plans, but it seems like, well, before...
1: Big, big posters in the tube at the moment, so for one season only. There well, we I
2: go. So let's hope that the Park Lane Gas leak doesn't <laughs> throw everything off. There we go. Um, so I think, you know, people that have been a bit, bit more pragmatic about it. For me, it, it just seems a little bit of a shame that we were doing so well in the league at home. And even the most optimistic Spurs fan... Are we really going to manage to go all season unbeaten at Wembley? We could. We'll see. It's important we get off to you a go good start.
1: unbeaten home and away. Yes, mate. let's that's just it. do it, mate.
2: Uh, you know, important we get off to a good start and Chelsea will be a, a good game for that, I think. You know, get the crowd up. Really try could and... Lay
1: down a marker. Get
2: that atmosphere going because yeah. that's been a problem. But if there's only 3,000 Chelsea fans and there's 87,000 of us, let's have that. Yeah. And if we can win that, that could really set us off to a flyer. Burnley I'm slightly concerned about because it's the day after the Rugby League Challenge Cup final. The pitch is going to be a state and we like to play nice pretty football on the deck uh, against Burnley. So that's... Mm. But you know let's get two wins crack on.
1: Does, and Wembley doesn't have any sort of rotating pitch or no. nothing like that. No. That's no. Shocking. the next...
2: Slightly. Yeah. Are there any NFL
1: games next year as well? Oh I don't know
2: actually I'll have to have a look for you. I don't know. I'll talk my head. Don't hmm. know. Don't know. Would be interesting. So, yeah, so, you know, everyone's migrated in now. Uh, they're now selling the one season passes. They'll be announcing match day pricing and selling multi game packs from later on this week. Um, so, is that's that another
1: exclusive. Got
2: that. yeah, yeah, another exclusive. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> this will probably be going out next week, anyway. <laughs> It'll all be out by then. So, that that's kind of that. Um, so, from our point of view, we just want to make sure that the, the, the match day experience is the best it can be in a temporary venue bearing in mind all the restrictions that we've got around that so for example it's Wembley security and stewarding mm. we will have some stewards there but they don't have any jurisdiction really inside of Wembley because it's it's WNSL people so that's that we have absolutely no sway over the catering so here we go back to the bagels and biscuits again that's all done by a company called Delaware North um nothing to do with Tottenham it's Wembley's caterers, so we have no say in the pricing so 20 quid for a bag of pick and mix that kind of rip off which is annoying um there's always be transport issues because there's no parking uh, public transport destination um so these are all the kind of things that we need to try and minimize disruption and pubs. just make do we know yet pubs um, so I was told last week that the only away pub was going to be the green man and all the rest would be home but then I was told yesterday that the Green Men, I think, had got some issues with that. So now it's back with the police, and we're waiting to hear again. But I, I think there'll only be like one or two away pubs because it's not like a semi-final or final. where it's half and half fans. It is, you know, the vast majority of Spurs fans. So I don't think it should be a major issue. But when, when as soon as we know, we'll clarify.
1: And I guess finally, what's the uh, what's the state of play with the the new stadium, the the you know the move basically? Yeah.
2: Of course. So we've been trying to pin the club down and discuss general admission, pricing specifically, in the new stadium for months and months and months now. Everyone be, will be aware that they are selling their premium seats. So you uh, your high net worth individuals who want to buy in a, the H Club and the Tunnel Club and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. There are 8,000 premium seats on sale. So um, they've been doing pretty well selling those through there and it is amazing that the spurs with the V, the virtual reality suite that they've got up in lily white house it's hugely impressive so every time we try and press them on what it's going to cost us basically you know your, your general admission fans to actually get to watch the team in the new stadium uh, their stock answer is we need to sell the premiums first So we're taking that as an indication that maybe they will consider stretch pricing. So maybe they will consider, okay, so we've maximised selling all of our premiums at a pretty high price points. That means, therefore, we can lower the pricing for, you know, general admission fans and make that more accessible. Whether or not we'll do that remains to be seen. But hopefully, we were told in autumn, they will start a consultation process. And it won't just be with us, it will be with every season ticket holder. So that will be around where would you like to sit in the new stadium. You know, they'll share some pricing. So knowing, knowing what you know now, where do you think you might like to sit? So they can kind of start scoping all that out. So uh, uh, as of yet, that's all still... In theory mode, nothing's been actually pushed into practice mode, but obviously we're, we're all over that because it's vastly important that if we've all gone to Wembley, supported the team and waited with bait of breath, that we can actually afford to get into the new stadium. So that's something that we really need to look at. I think and,
1: as a fan base, I think we need some coordination as, the, as to what the second option is going to be for when the cop is actually full up. Because yes. that's going to be everyone's first choice, right? Yes. Um, I would have
2: thought so. I would have thought so. And that's 17,000, isn't it? And we've got 40,000 season ticket holders. So that could be a bit of an issue. I mean, I mean I, I personally, I think the North might be quite interesting because that's right by the away fans now. So maybe that'll end up being a little second choice. Because I think there's that interesting
1: point, isn't there, as well? That a lot of people who... Uh, I'm you know, I'm not trying to say it's in an overly derisory fashion, but I mean like a lot of tourists, day trips yeah. and such, might want to experience it in the COP, which... Mm ends up being quite counterproductive because then you have lots of people that aren't as maybe comfortable or yeah. in the know about all of the chance and the culture and so on and so forth that's supposed to make these places yes famous.
2: Yes. Absolutely agree with you on that. I don't think it's just an issue with tourists, though. I think it's an no, issue no, no, with you know, yeah. with some of some of a our fans accident, who
1: a bit accidental Brexit. Really. No, that's <laughs> fine.
2: But with you know some of our fans who want to be part of an atmosphere block but aren't willing to contribute to the atmosphere. Yeah. So you know, it, it, well, I personally would love to be able to just identify the ones who are actually going to make a racket and go, "You're there, you're there, you're there," but it doesn't work like that. But I think organically, we'll we'll have little pockets grow up. You know, where where there will be an awful lot of noise, and you would expect that. That single tier end to be producing some some volume but I think there'll be some unexpected areas that'll end up being little hotbeds as well which is probably quite nice I mean are the
1: do you know if the club have actually looked into communicating that directly to the fans as in like if you want to be noisy, perhaps sit in this section. Have they put any thought? So they did. They the did stadium? that
2: at Wembley for the Champions League games when they uh, they allocated designated. I think it was four blocks in behind the west goal uh, as atmosphere blocks, and exactly as I described, happened. People turned up and went, "Where's my atmosphere?" So um, the the club did try that with that, and they've yeah. also tried by designating all of the west side, all of that west end. Um, as a home end for the Wembley matches. So all of the Park Lane and the old shelf have gone into that southwest corner wrapping around that west goal. So that should, theoretically, be a real hotbed of noise, yeah. hopefully. I would... I'm not sure if the club would specifically spell it out for the single-tier end. I would think that would be fairly obvious. But, you know, there's no no harm in doing that. It.
1: It's tough, isn't it? Because you, yeah. can, you can only engineer this stuff so much. Of course you can. Right, You want it to be organic. Yeah. But... At the same time, you know you need a bit of a push as well, perhaps.
2: Yeah. yeah, you do. But I think if the team continue playing the football that they've been playing, that's enough of a push. Yeah. You kind of feed off what's going on on pitch as well, don't you? As well as it's a two way thing. You know, obviously you want to lift them if they're playing badly. Let's hope that doesn't happen that often. But fingers crossed. It's going to take a while, yeah. Yeah, and they have designed the new stadium with atmosphere in mind. I mean, you can't do any more than they have done to try and and, and generate that. So it's the closest. Any fans will be to a pitch. It's really tight. And um, the roof is built in a special way to keep the sound in. And they've had like U2 sound engineer designing X, Y and Z. So they're taking it really seriously. Because they, you know, they. I think when you look at White Hart Lane, the atmosphere is the thing that you're going to miss the most. So you can't just recreate it, but they're giving it the best chance they can. So at the end of the day, it's going to be up to us, isn't it? To go in there and go nuts. We're going to
1: be like flags, banners and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll try and get them to relax on their regulations a little bit because it does get slightly annoying that you need a a million and one certificates with you and you can't have a pole longer than a metre and all the rest of it. Dormen seemed
1: all right when they came over a few years ago, didn't Exactly right.
2: Exactly right, yeah. So, but visual is good and, and the club are, well the club are probably more f- f- fans of flags than the trust are actually mm. the, the club are the ones who arrange the surfers at Wembley and, and all that stuff and the, the flags for the finale I think I kind of just have my belly full of flags <laughs> I do love them I just didn't want to have to lie, lay out another 38,000 again or whatever else so, you know exactly all good
1: I guess finally if uh, anyone wants to keep in touch with, with the trust tweet you nice stuff
2: yes nice please what's the handle what's the handle? It's at thstofficial. Website? thstofficial.com.
1: And now I guess that's where people can send any inquiries. Yeah, so we have an info
2: so. address, which is easier. So info at thstofficial.com, where you can send any inquiries. Each board member does have an email account with first name, dot last name, at thstofficial.com, but info is going to be easy to remember. Uh, we, we do try and reply to everybody within a, a timely manner, but obviously we're juggling that alongside day jobs, so do bear with us if it takes a while to get back.